0: What a blessing it is to be here, and you know, one of the things about being in this stage of uh, dealing with the virus and all that's going on, one of the things that we, we've lacked even last week and this week is a greeting, and so we want to do a greeting right now. Um, but we want to do a, a healthy greeting. So I'm going to take you to Thailand with me for a moment, and the, the greeting that we do in Thailand is a Y, W-A-I, and you put your hands together like this. And you bow, and now one thing about the why is wh- how high your hands go is very important because if we're peers, I'm just gonna put it right here. But if you're my former professor, I might put it a little bit higher. And if you're re- uh, greeting royalty, you're gonna, it's gonna go like this. But I'd like you to stand up right now and greet one another, here's what you say. I'm sorry, I should've told you this before. You don't, you're not gonna say, how are you doing? You're gonna say, "Swadi kap, if you're a guy, and if you're a female, you're gonna say swatika. The ending is different for male and female. So swatika for guys and "sawadika" for females to speakers. Go ahead. <laughs> and basically you've just said, how are you? A nice Thai greeting. So now you guys can uh, greet one another in Thai. Who knows, maybe next week will be another language. Um, it's great to be here with you guys, and uh, to be sharing God's word. What a blessing it is to look at this chapter, 2 Peter chapter three. Um, it's interesting, and it's, uh, it's fitting. Oftentimes I'm typecast with my messages, and this is a good one as well, because this is a message about time. And I am exceedingly time conscious. And I'll give you some examples of that in a little while here. As, as I've preached over the past couple of years, you can, you've seen a couple of my loves. One of my loves is maps. I love maps, and uh, so I'm going to show you some of the, a couple of the maps that I used over the past couple of years. Here's the one um, that I used oh, way back, um, related to a, a phone app game that I play, and then last year I used this map from uh, Risk. Well, I want to share with you now my favorite map of all. Check out this map. Some people call it the upside-down map. But really, who's to say that north is up and south is down? My point being that God sees the world differently than we see the world. And today, as we look at time, we're going to come to a realization that God does not see time the way that we see time. And when we look at the world accordingly, we want to see the world the way God sees it. But this follows on from last week's message about uh, false teachers. Last week, Tony talked about the marks of a false teacher. And um, one of my favorite verses to share in times of transition, as an example, um, back in 2010 when God called us from, uh, to wrap up our more than 20 years on the mission field to come to Lancaster to teach at Lancaster Bible College, uh, we were saying goodbye to many dear people. And I especially shared this verse with my team leaders that I oversaw. And uh, in, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is... He called the elders from Ephesus together to say goodbye to them. And in his, his message to them, he talked about being careful about false teachers who are going, going to come and try to take you uh, to the side. Beware of those false teachers. But then he gets to this beautiful verse... In Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And when I when I have my graduate, when I have graduates from LBC, I give them a little gift, and on the bottom of that gift it says Acts 20, 32. Let me read that verse to you. It says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and grant you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. As we think about false teachers, we need to Constantly bring ourselves back to the truth, the objective truth of God's word. And, you know, we could have, when we talk about false teachers, we can talk about, okay, I want you to make sure you have your argument straight, make sure you do this. No, I commend you to God and to his word. That has to be our baseline. And even today, as we talk about scoffers and end times, we want to make sure that. God's word is our foundation, is our base. We're going to be looking at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 in three parts. The first two verses, looking at reminders that stimulate wholesome thinking. Then uh, verses 3 to 7, rebuke the scoffers. And then the last two verses, the reason why God is waiting to come. So let's look at 2 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2 first. Let me read those out loud. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Dear friends, he starts out. This is an encouragement. He's not rebuking them as much as exhorting them to what he wants. And like a good coach, you know, you talk about what you want to do the person to do and not what, they don't, what you don't want them to do. And so he's encouraging them, dear friends, and keep that in mind um, because he wants us to have an action. And this, you're going to hear this quite a bit for this message here. You're going to have echoes back to other passages within 2 Peter and 1 Peter. For example, in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, verses 12 to 15, Peter wrote, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things." So think of this message today as God's reminder to us. But his reminders have a purpose. It's not just head level, it also wants, there also is going to be a call to live them out. And so he says, to stimulate you, and this harkens back to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, we've often quoted this verse about how nice it is to come back into this space to worship together, and how important it is to worship together, but it's not just that. The writer of Hebrews wrote, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we are to encourage one another to love and good deeds. We are to get together and worship, yes, to glorify God, but also to encourage one another to do what God has called us to do. And so this reminder here in 2 Peter 3 is not just a remember, but it's a remember in order to stimulate us to, in this case, he says first, to wholesome thinking. In Philippians 4.8, Paul wrote, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if any is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so when Peter writes about wholesome thinking, he really wants us to Make sure that as we think about God and about his timing and his purposes, that we are not clouded by other things, but it is pure, sifted, if you will, thinking. Make sure that we are sincere, pure in what we think about God's return and about how that impacts us. And then going on in verse two, I want you to recall, to remember, and he breaks it into two parts here, the prophets and the apostles, Old Testament and the New Testament. Corey talked about this just last month as he, uh, he looked forward to chapter three. I'm looking back to what Corey preached about, but when we look at God's word and see all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training and righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, ready for, for, to, do, to live out what God wants us to do. And so we look at the Old Testament, we also look at the New Testament. And even in this chapter, Peter does a good job of, re- of remembering some of the passages from the Old Testament as he talks about remembering. The thing about God's word is it has to be our authority, as I said earlier. Okay, what is your authority? When it comes down to your life purpose, what you do on a daily basis, what is your authority? What, you know, we, even just think about the different authorities in our lives. Here at LEFC, the authority, the bottom line authority is the elder board. The elder board answers to God. The staff answers to the elder board. And then, I mean, you guys are sitting around here complying with wearing a mask. You are complying to some authority. We choose to, I mean, we have to know what the authority is, but then we have to make a choice whether or not to comply to that authority. Sometimes we comply to authority because we want to. Other times it's because I have to. It's like that old illustration of the, uh, well, this dates us because before there were seatbelts, when the kid was standing up in the the back of the car and the father said, sit down. And the kid wouldn't sit down and father said, sit down, don't make me come back there. Maybe you've heard that, some of you as you're growing up. And the kid sits down and He says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> that was complying because he had to, not because he wanted to. And when we look at God's authority, you know, how do we view that? Is it something that we want to comply with and follow? Or do we do it because we have to? And sometimes it is appropriate that we do it simply because we have to. Well, let's move on to the second um, here in in chapter 2, verses 3 to 7. And here we get to the crux of the passage where he's rebuking the scoffers. So let me read verses 3 to 7. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So we've already established that Peter recognizes that his time is coming towards an end. And um, as has been said a couple of times, through this series, last words are very, very important words. And he says he, even more, above all, you must understand. And this word understanding has the idea of keep knowing through experience. Make sure this is what you live out, not just on the head level. And he re- references the last days. Um, basically, we are in the last days. When Peter wrote this, they, were in la- they understood the last days to be when Jesus was res- resurrected. We're now looking forward to his return. Many times we see in Scripture the promise of his return. And they were, back when Peter wrote this, they were expecting him to come. Now we are expecting him to come. And the scoffers will come, scoffing, and this word scoffing, as I was looking it up, it, it, it talks about how it's almost like playing like a child, you know, not using reason, but using emotion. Not, and so that they check out intellectually. Now, my bachelor's degree was in philosophy. One of my high values, not just because of that degree, I think it's partially in the personality that I have. Okay, maybe it's a lot of my personality. <laughs> Is that I have a high, high value for logic. You know, and in fact, in my Bible, my daughter... Oh, this would be many years ago. Let me see if I can find it right here. Yeah, here it is. To Dad from Becca. It says, I love logic. It's nice to be known. Especially on Father's Day. But I feel that logic has become less and less valued today. And we have to... I mean, there's, there's a certain sense of one of the basic principles of logic is if it is A, it cannot be not A. And when we come to truth an objective authority, this is truth and that is not. And in today's world, we really struggle with this idea of having objective truth. There are many people who struggle with don't tell me what to do. And, and when it comes to God's word, that carries over. And so, scoffing, when Tony talked about the Marks of a false teacher. You know, what are our four marks of a disciple? Love God, love others, love truth, and proclaim Jesus. It's difficult to proclaim Jesus if you don't also love truth, as well as the others. And he says, not only are they scoffing, but they're also following their own evil desires. And This, again, goes back to the marks of uh, the flesh. Not the uh, fruit of the spirit, but the fruit of the flesh. And then also James, in in chapter one of James, he talks about how sin and our own evil desires are linked together. And I I think about that passage in James one, where we are tempted by our own evil desires. It's as though Satan knows each of us individually and knows which temptation will trip us up. And it's sort of like a fishing lure. You choose a certain lure based on the type of fish you're trying to to catch. And Satan knows which lure to put in front of us to trip us up. But it's our own desires. And when we we are self-aware to know what those are, we are strengthened against them. And yet the scoffers are scoffing, and by their own evil desires, they follow down this path of selfish understanding of what truth is. Spurgeon once said, errors of doctrine are almost always attended with errors of practice. Errors of doctrine are almost always attended with errors of practice. What we believe will impact what we do. What we believe will impact what we do and how how we live. You've heard the, uh, I've talked a number of times, and it was a big part of my book about, you know, the Martha and Mary thing, being versus doing. But before you can be, you have to know who God is. Then you can become conformed to the image of Christ. And then you can do what he's called you to do. But it starts with an understanding of who he is. Starts with truth, objective truth. And then he goes on to say, they will say, here's the scoffing. Where is this coming he promised? The argument is based on this, well, it never happened before, so it's not going to happen. Well, by that logic, up until two years ago, the Eagles would never have won a Super Bowl. (laughs) But that finally happened. Just because something hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen. And yet the scoffing is just that. They check out the intellect and they, based on emotion, I've not seen it happen, so I guess it's not gonna happen. Think about your own prayer life. How diligent, how faithful are you in your prayers to God? And do you base your prayers based on what has happened and not what you know to be true? Peter writes, they deliberately forget. It is a choice. It's not ignorance. Ignorance is not knowing the truth. These scoffers know the truth, but they deliberately forget. And we have to guard ourselves against deliberately forgetting what we know to be true. We, we have to live by the truth we know and not just casually and comfortably and conveniently forget some of the truths. A number of years ago, I had a Bible with me that I had, I had ordered a Bible and it came with a significant portion of the scripture missing. I called, the, I called them and they said, I will send you a new one. I, what, you, what should I do with this? Oh, I'll just throw it away. Well, I'm not gonna throw a Bible away. This is gonna be a great tool sometime. And I did it once and I told myself I wouldn't do it here again. But with that Bible, I actually just ripped out a page. I said, you know, we do that with scripture sometimes. We conveniently rip out verses or truths that we don't want to abide by when it suits our purposes. But he goes on, he says, by God's word, out of water and by water, and it's a nice way to hearken all the way back to Genesis 1.1 when God created all things. He is the creator God on the mission field. One of the things that we focus most on is establishing that he is the creator God. Because he is the creator God, he has the right to talk about his creation. Yes. He has the right to bless us. He has the right to challenge us and to test us. And yes, he has the right to destroy what he has created. And he goes on here, Peter goes on and says, buy these waters. He says, first of all, out of water and by water. Water is very, very important. You know what? If you have your water with you, why don't you just pick up your water and get a drink right now? Water sustains us. God used water to create and there are, I remember writing a paper for a physics class about, you, know, before the flood and uh, um, all, the, all the water that encircled the earth, and how things changed with, because of the flood. Do you know that there is a, actually a universal flood story in most cultures around the world? Uh, one of the nice things that, uh, in, in being in China for a number of years and studying Chinese, found that the word for boat, chuan, is made up of three parts. And you can see here uh, the three parts. There's the, f- number, uh, the character for vessel, for eight, and for people. In other words, the word boat has a summary of, the, of Noah's Ark. How many people were in the Ark? Noah, his, his wife, his three sons, their wives. There were eight people in a vessel. And that's the word for boat in ancient Chinese character. And many authors have made the case that you, if you go to cultures in, and go far enough back, you'll probably find a universal a flood story which is great for connecting with them about how God was God even in their culture from the very beginning. The the application here is that when you meet someone, look for ways that you can bring God into the conversation based on what their values are and what their history is. You can find a way to talk about God in your life, but can you find a way to talk about God in their lives? Let's go on. He said, by the same word, the same creative word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, just as he deluged the world with the water, so at the end it will be destroyed by fire. As the creator God, he has the right to do this. And it says that uh, these are reserved. The idea here is that God treasures this world. The scoffers are saying, why hasn't he come yet? And we're about to get to the reason why he hasn't come yet. But he hasn't come yet. And while he hasn't, hasn't sent Jesus back yet, he has reserved this world. He is treasuring it. He's holding it in his hand. It's like a precious treasure in his hands. And he's not passively watching from outside. He is holding this, this creation of his in his hands, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So let's move to verses 8 and 9, the reason for waiting. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So do not forget this one thing. Stop allowing this truth to be hidden from you. Remember it. Again, reminder. And here Peter's quoting, perhaps, from Psalm 90. Let me just read the first four verses of Psalm 90. Lord... You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or a watch in the night. Now, as I've said, I'm a very, very time-conscious person here, and I brought, just as I showed you my favorite map, I want to show you a very precious clock that was given to me a few years back. Some would call that an upside-down map. Well, this is sort of an backwards clock. It's got the accurate time. I'm a little bit nervous that you're going to focus a little bit on the clock here, but my students, when I bring this to class, after a while, they get really stressed trying to look at this thing. But again, the point is that God sees time differently than we do. As I said earlier, I'm an extremely time-conscious person. When in Thailand and we were invited to a wedding that started at 2 o'clock, I would show up at 1.45. And the wedding would probably start right around 4 o'clock. These non-time-conscious people, event-oriented people, would start when everyone got there. So the next time I was invited to a wedding that would start at 2 o'clock, what time did you think I showed up? I still showed up at 1.45, but this time I brought a book and I would not be angry at, why are they late? They said this, they said this, they was going to start at 2 o'clock, why is it not? No, I'm the one that has to adjust, but I'm still the time-conscious person. Okay, so I'll bring a book and I won't be upset with them. My students know my mantra. In fact, one of my students wrote this out on a wooden plaque. Early is on time, on time is late, and late is unacceptable. Thank you for that amen. I I just need one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, God is eternal though. God is outside of time. He doesn't think, hmm, when would be a good time to do this? I envy God in this way. He is eternal. He is outside of time. So for him, he doesn't feel like I need to rush. He doesn't feel like he's a little bit earlier, a little bit late. He is sovereign and he is eternal. Peter goes on to say, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. And I want us to bring some understanding here to the relationship between eschatology our view of end times, and evangelism, telling others about Jesus. What you believe about Jesus' return at some level should impact whether or not you you share your faith with others. In my biblical theology of missions class, I do a series of debates. One of the debates debates that we do is, is this one right here. While there are maybe other motivations for sharing your faith, which is the greater motivator for evangelism, heaven? Or hell? Would you be more inclined to tell someone in your oikos about Jesus because of heaven or because of hell? There's not a right answer, but the wrong choice is to not tell them at all. But just to think a little bit about end times and what we're looking forward to. Am I looking forward to being with God in heaven? Am I thankful that I don't go to hell? What about my the people that God brings into my life? Yeah, there's probably a mixture of both there, but at some level I'm guessing that one of those might be a greater motivator for you. You know, Joel shared with us the um, Romans road of uh, gospel presentations, you know, Romans 3:23, all of sin come short of the glory of God. Romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died. Christ died for us. And then Romans 10, 9, and 10, the idea that we confess with our mouths and what we believe in our hearts and what we confess in our, you know, those things have to be in alignment there. Just a simple way to share the gospel with someone. And Peter goes on and says, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In Ezekiel, it says, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? Rather than that, he should turn from his ways and live. And in 1 Timothy 2, 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's desire that all come to know him. Is it your desire that the people in your oikos know him? That's that's square one, isn't it? Knowing what we have received from him and how we get to share that with others. For those of you who are not believers, here or watching this or listening to this, what are you waiting for? Do not presume upon God's patience. Jesus will come again. The end times will come. Do not wait. Seriously, what is keeping you from coming to Christ? Is there something that you can identify intellectually, emotionally, experientially that's keeping you from coming to Christ? Believers, same questions. What is keeping you from sharing your faith? with those that God brings into your life. Seriously, what is keeping you? Try to identify that and act accordingly. What are you waiting for?
1: When's it gonna happen? Here I am, there you are. Here I am desperate for love, for truth. What are you gonna do when you leave this building? Are you going to share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just going to bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past. Like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. (laughs) And my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is gonna make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I I know I'm a bad person. I've I've done bad things, but I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down, to be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's, there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go, and what you say and do. Because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine, to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes. It may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. But I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me so I'm gonna ask you when's it gonna happen
0: so when's it gonna happen how how is God going to get you past that step of I know I should when Peter writes about Jesus' coming, God is not slow about his promises, but his return, Jesus' return could come today. There should be some level of urgency in our lives for the people that we love and come across to tell them what they need to hear. David Hesselgrave, in, his, uh, in a number of books talks about gospel presentations, and he talks about four different things. First, defining your terms. This is so important today when we have these words that we use in Christianity that people don't know. She said, I don't even know what that means when you tell me I'm lost. We need to define our terms so, we, so that they know what we're talking about with what Scripture says. We also need to select which aspects of the gospel. We don't have to give them an entire seminary degree in one conversation. Select which aspects of the gospel are most relevant to that person that you're talking to on this day. And then organize what you're going to say, including scripture, of course, like the Romans wrote or some other verses that are going to be relevant. But then here's the last part that he brings and that we often neglect, and that is calling for a commitment, for a persuasion. We have a right to persuade to the truth. Today, that is something that goes against our culture. Don't tell me what I should believe or what I should do. And by the way, I'm not trying to persuade them. I want God's word to persuade them. And so I need to be clear in what I'm communicating. So let me leave with you a few questions and a few suggestions. Question number one. How well does your life align with what you believe about Christ's return? Have you even thought about Christ's return? Please do. That's what Peter's reminding us of today. He is coming. You know, some of us, I remember thinking, Lord, please don't come before I get married. Lord, please don't come until I have this child, these child, these children. Lord, please don't come until And I'm thinking, how selfish is that? But now, Lord, please don't come until this person comes to know you. Because now I'm, I'm, okay, I'm in my 60s. Yes, I'm in that bracket. But it's also the sense of, Lord, come quickly. And now that's the selfish thought. Lord, please wait until the people in my oikas come to know you. Secondly, are you guilty of playing games with God? Knowing his truth and acting accordingly, or that they don't, it doesn't uh, exist. Thirdly, who is waiting for you to share the gospel with them? Pull out that oikos list again. Update it. Pray over it daily. And then moving on to these three suggestions. The first is prayer walk in the neighborhood, asking God for conversations. Most of us are walking in our neighborhoods like we have never done before. How about turning one of those uh, walks a week into a prayer walk as you walk by your neighbors praying for them? And then secondly, practice sharing your testimony with those around you so that you can be confident when an opportunity arises. You have a testimony. How you came to what your life was like before you came to Christ, how you came to Christ and what your life has been like since coming to Christ. Practice sharing that with other believers so that when an unbeliever When there's an opportunity, you're ready to share that with that person. Not in a canned way, but in a relevant way to that person. And then finally, ask God to open doors with those in your oikos. But be ready when he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are true, that you are good, and that you are loyal to your promises. You are faithful. Help us, Father to live in the reality of understanding that Jesus is coming again and how that needs to impact us in what we do and what we say. get this one thing dear friends with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance do you believe let your actions and your words reflect that this week have a great week